you're listening to Contesting Wrestling. Hi there. My name, as usual, is Doc Diamond Fire, and well, we're here, uh, you know, uh, we've contested a lot of stuff over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, and we're gonna, we're gonna reach a little We've been bit doing it, the podcast that long? No. No. Oh. It's, I'm just talking about the material we usually end up watching. Oh, yes. Then. Okay, gotcha. Anyway, yes, uh, Professor Ben Abelson over here is with me, and we have a special guest today. Ben, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about Yes, that? we are here with a dear friend of both uh, Doc and myself. Uh, we used to gallivant uh, around, at and around and in Hunter College back in the day. And uh, he is a wealth of knowledge on professional wrestling and a fantastic wrestling impressionist. Um which I <laughs> yes, always enjoyed. And we have him here today on Contesting Wrestling, Omar Luciano. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Contesting Wrestling. Hey. hey thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it, guys. Cool. Uh, yeah, we always uh, we always have fun talking about wrestling. Uh, we, we, uh, I always like it. Uh, Omar will send me the most random stuff. Uh, just to check yeah. out. I, I can't always respond properly, and I apologize, but I always appreciate you know, all the stuff you <laughs> find and just send along, you know, just, just part of the web of wrestling that goes around. And uh, you need friends like that, you know, with a, kind of a shared sense of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think, Omar, you've been watching wrestling a little bit longer than Doc and I. When did you when did you start Thanks watching? Thanks for calling me <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching since 1984. Since 19, that okay, so, so I was born in that year. I started young. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> it's not so much that you're you are a little bit older than us, but I think it's mostly that you started younger than either of us. So not, well, they they targeted they targeted children pretty heavily at the time, uh, but I was two, and Ben was a. Uh, I was born that year. You, I was born in December of '84. Yeah. So most of the time, Ben simply was not, and uh, yeah, we both started. <laughs> we we both started in '92. We caught the next wave. Yeah. Um. So Omar, so you were you were uh, you started watching the year that Hulkamania was born. Yeah. Were were yeah. you a Hulkamaniac? As a child, yes. It was hard not to be. I mean, looking back now, you 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 know. They have a different opinion on, you know, Hulk. Yes. <laughs> Hogan, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hulk Hogan. Hogan. Yeah. That no good jabroni. <laughs> that no good jabroni, Hulk No Hogan. good jabroni, no. That blonde jabroni. Yeah. Make him the legend of Madison Square Garden. Oh, excellent Iron Sheet t-shirt. Hulk Hogan never paid back. No. <laughs> are, are you the guy behind the Iron Sheet Twitter account? <laughs> No, I am not. No. <laughs> All right. That would I'd be love, great. I'd love I really want them I, to post a picture of Sheik with like today's newspaper or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious because he, the, the tweets come in like the same broken English. Yeah. That, that he, so thing, like, like Matchbox 20, like the legend, he said, oh, the Matchbox 20 is the legend, the Rob Thomas the greatest. <laughs> yeah, the, the team of millennials who run his account have definitely captured the voice. But, um, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we'll have plenty to say about Iron Sheik <laughs> in this episode for sure. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, when so 
was Hogan what got got you watching, or like who were your like first favorites? Uh, Hogan was one of my favorites. Jimmy Snooker was another mm-hmm. one. You know, I was captivated by Andre the Giant. Obviously, you know, mm-hmm. we all were. Did you ever get to see and, Andre um, live? I did not, unfortunately. The the first show mm-hmm. I went to, so the, they did the ten bell salute for him because he had just died. The first show I went to, he actually no showed. Oh shit! No. Man, that's, that's a drag. Um, he was supposed to fight the missing link and instead George the Animal Steel took his place. You know, I, mean, I was terrified of the missing link as a child, so I froze in the aisle when he came uh, <laughs> Oh man. That's yeah. fantastic. Hell of a uh, gimmick. That was yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it was so different from what he was like in real life. Which um, oh, yeah. I found out later. You know, where he was Dewey Robinson before that, and he was a very serious wrestler, you know, from Canada. You know, to find out that he made it with this gimmick was, you know, just blew me away. I I just recently saw some Wayne Ferris on Mid-South Wrestling, (laughs) uh, you know, who who would eventually become the Hockey Talk Man. And he was fucking great as Wayne Ferris. Like a hell of a wrestler, yeah. a hell of a heel, great selling. I mean, he still had that as Honky Tonk Man, but he pared it down quite a bit uh, for and, and yeah. let the gimmick do most of the work. Uh, I, I always I always do love to hear missing link stories on like shoot interviews and so on. The 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 guys that had to had to deal with him. You know, like Bobby Heenan said that Link thought he was gonna be his like shoot manager and asked yeah. him to start arranging flights and cars and Heenan said, I don't do any of that. <laughs> and uh and Link said, Well I have to keep the gimmick. I mean the people are gonna look at me and think, Oh, who's this guy? I need a guy in front of me and Heenan said, No, you're in New York now. They'll just think you're a guy with a bad haircut. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> you know? Maybe they looked at him like that, you know, in the South or or in the Midwest, but you you know, in the in the late seventies in early eighties in New York where, you know, where punk and hip hop were brewing. Okay. He, he was just a guy with a bad haircut, maybe some blue makeup on fine. Fine. Maybe he's in a band. Omar, you were going to say something else. Um, all right. So today we are talking about the great Mr. Bob Backlund. Actually, wait, before we get into Bob Backlund. Um, so a little bit more about you, Omar. Um, where, who did, who ended up, what ended up being your favorite wrestling and wrestlers as, as time went on? Well, the WWF was always what we were exposed to primarily, you know, being that it was the Northeast territory. Um, so I think as we got cable TV, but we had UHF channels too, which had, uh, different, different organizations. We used to watch World Class on Monday nights, um, we used to get Power Pro Wrestling, um, which was one of uh, Bill Watts' shows. Oh. We used to get the Jeff channel. And we used to have the AWA on Channel 11 here in New York. We did now CW11, which was uh, WPIX. Right, yeah, then. right. Oh, wow. Complete local station. Yeah, so they would have the, uh, the WWF at 10 on Fox. And then at 11, we switched over to Channel 11. To, uh, to catch the AWA. So did you, since you were watching those other territories, were you aware of kind of like 
the difference in taste between those who like liked the more theatrical and like cartoonish WWF versus like the more serious wrestling of the other. Were you like aware of that kind of distinction at that time? That age, no, because I was it, for me it was just wrestling. Like I didn't, I hadn't picked up on all of that gotcha. yet. You know, I was still very young. Um, I will say that I did notice a big difference when I got cable in 1987. Mm. You know, mm. and when I got cable, one of the channels I got on cable was WCBS. So all these guys that I heard about in the NWA were now on my TV. You see them all in the magazines, but I had never yeah. seen them live right. for the most part. Yeah. So, eighty-seven, the, they were still really cooking. I mean, the, oh yeah. the um, yeah, yeah. The first war games was actually right about to happen uh, when I first. So did you? So it was actually, it, it was actually coming up, and they were building it. Uh, you know, really strong. So did, did that make so, you more of a fan of that? And you were like, Oh, this is kind of cooler than WWF or. Yeah. You notice they, they had the longer matches, you know, uh, Flair was, you know, would go on TV, you know, on a 60 minute man, and then go out and, and wrestle 60 minute Broadway, gotcha. you know, Dusty Rhodes was going. So the, the, it was, it was different. Um, at first, I guess like it was all just TV matches. And when you're formatting TV, you have, you know, a certain amount of time that you, you need to fill. Right. So that match with, say, you know, Lenny Poffo against, you know, I don't know, Macho Man Randy Savage could be three <laughs> minutes on TV. And then you go and see them live. And now it's a 10 minute match. Right. Right, you'd you'd pay you'd pay to see the live full matches, and you'd watch TV for the angles and the squash matches, and that yeah. works. That still works if done right. Yeah, um, the TV uh, was set up the, the the live gates at that time because there yeah. there wasn't pay per view like we have it right now. You know, you know the. Pay-per-view became the new house show eventually when like the WWE was running like 15, you know, 16 of them uh, a year. Plus TNA was doing a dozen of them a year. It became, well, maybe the house show business isn't so good, but we want to drive everyone to pay for the pay for the pay-per-views. And now with, you know, TV deals being the biggest thing, the it's not even a question of ratings. It's all like you want people to watch your big matches on television. Uh, pay-per-view still exists, but it's diminished as it was. It's interesting just watching the business evolve and change, you know, and you change with it or you get left behind. And, and something you said that's interesting, it's kind of a note that I like to come back to. There's always a... Um, an opinion that goes around that like, Oh, all the wrestling companies before Vince McMahon were in their territories and they weren't expanding. And like, and I always, you know, I always call that out because like you just said in New York, a very strong Vince territory with Mm -hmm. any kind of decent television and the eighties, you could watch five different promotions. And that wasn't by accident. That was because all of those promoters were trying to expand as hard as they could nationally and internationally. Uh, Vince was the one that got it right, that figured out, well, pour all your money into production if you want to have a television product. And then, you know, because if you watch, and uh, we have, if you watch the videos from the territories from the 50s through to the 80s, the video quality, other than the switch to color, does nothing but drop. 
The fifties, <laughs> it's interesting because you have the one camera for most of it, but it's very clear. And it, there's the commentator is very clear and everything. You know, you get your gorgeous George and you know his contemporaries. And as the territory splintered and focused on local television, their budgets got smaller and smaller. And the promoters got the ideas of, we'll give the fans as little as possible to get their money. And as soon as somebody came through with the money and the savvy to concentrate on how the show looked and sounded, it was too late. You know, he, Vince steamrollered most of them. But everyone else who had the means was trying to expand. Watts was trying to expand. Von Erich was trying to expand. And Vern was trying to expand. And, of course, uh, Crockett was trying to expand. Um, and they all had some success until they stopped, you know. Man, I, like to, I like to add a little history to, to stuff like that, this. That, that is a great point, Doc. That is a great point. <laughs> Thank sure. you, Omar. Yeah. You know, Vince McMahon is plenty evil, but when he says, yeah, all I really did was present any competition and everyone else just went out of business, he's not lying. <laughs> he's really not lying. Yeah, those, those promoters died a slow death, and a lot of it was that they didn't change with the times, like you said, you know. They 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 try to get together, I think, as, as Pro Wrestling USA. Um, was destined to fail. I think Watts actually said these guys can't even agree on what they want to order for lunch. <laughs> you know, like, we're not getting, he told JR, we're not getting involved in that. Mm. Well, Watts was savvy enough to get out of business when he thought he was going to lose money. Yeah, he had already started to lose some money. Um, and you're right, he was smart enough to realize that. And, but they they you know, broke off that. from the NWA at some point, right? When he made it the UWF and everything? I'm not sure if Watts' territory was an NWA member in the first place. I think they were at one point. I think they were. But not not every not every big territory was an NWA member. Some of them wanted to retain their independence. But, where there were the outlaw promotions like, yeah, then like was... the various ICWs, one of which we're gonna we're gonna talk about <laughs> a bit. But, okay, so in 1984, Hogamania had already started, right? Hogan wins the title for the Iron Sheik in March of 1984. We're going to talk about Backlund losing the title in November of 83. But Mm -hmm. starting watching in 84, were you aware of Bob Backlund, who had just been champion for almost six years? Omar? I was aware of him, but there was not, like, you couldn't really watch him because he wasn't, he was already... He was already out by the time I started. But was he totally forgotten or did they talk about him still on TV? They really didn't. Not that I could remember. Mm. Um, I like, I was aware that he existed. I was aware that he won the title, that he had the title before Hogan got there. But it was, it was like, I would go to school and they would say, Oh, the iron Sheik got the title before Hogan who had the title before the Sheik?" And I'd be like, Bob Backlund. And the kids would look at each other like, like, who, like, Who's that? Wow. So Vince Jr. did a really good job of kind of like cleaning the slate once Hogan got the title. He kind of did that with, with Jimmy Snooker to a lesser extent. For other reasons. You know, or, or tried to do it, you know, um, the super fly off thing. At, at the <laughs> right. Was, uh, I've seen some of that on primetime. Like when they first introduced oh, CV Afi as Superfly Afi. Uh, and it's like, no, this is not the same thing at all. And they didn't learn their lesson in the 90s when they tried to make the new Razor and Diesel, you know. 
At least the fake Undertaker was just an angle. Right. You know, where the Undertaker was clearly going to show up in a couple of months and beat the hell out of this guy and then send him packing, which he did. And so I I realized that after the um, after Sheik won the title, there was a house show match where Hogan was in Backlund's corner against Sheik. In Philly, yes. Yeah, in Philadelphia. But that was just a house show, right? You wouldn't have necessarily known about that just watching TV at the time. No, probably not. But remember, they were, like, if you had cable, they would show matches from different arenas. So Prism had the matches from the Spectrum, and MSC Network had the matches from the Garden. Um, sometimes you got Meadowlands, sometimes you got National Coliseum there as well. Um, USA Network has had a lot of matches from uh, Washington, D.C., from the Capitol Center as well. Gotcha. Um, uh, um, Nesson has the Boston Garden shows, you know, but we didn't all, we didn't get all of those in, in a local network. Like right. You couldn't turn on the TV on a Friday night or a Monday night if, if they were at the Garden and expect to see it unless you had cable. Yeah, the so same way in New other, York, you're not going to see the Red Sox know. game unless they're playing the Yankees. Yeah, unless it's, you know, on, on like ESPN or something right, like right. that, you know, which I remember not everybody had it or MLB Network or whatever. I remember being on vacation with my parents somewhere. Maybe it was Philly and just turning on the TV and like some wrestling was on that I had never seen before. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? I still don't know what it what it was, you know, it could have been oh, could have been anything could have been like global or I don't know. This was like early 90s, so. Or mid mid uh, I don't know mid nineties probably probably like ninety four. I mean, yeah. yeah, they UWF. Have... UWF. Mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe maybe the Herb Abrams UWF. Oh, yeah, it could have been that. It could have been because that. that was on television. What did you say, Omar? What did you suggest? Yeah, we had a well. I I know that there was wrestling on ESPN at that time too. AWA had a contract. World Class had a contract. By ninety four. Well, no, but they had it earlier, but Global may have been like 90, I'd say like maybe 91, 92. Yeah, 94, like almost everybody else had gone out of business. Like the Jim Cornette likes to say it was a wrestling recession. You know, the only other decently sized leagues were, you know, Memphis or like USW, which was still kicking and Smoky Mountain. And, you know, ECW existed, but, you know, nobody really cared yet. And, uh. Well, you know, I mean, I say that 94 is the night the line was crossed and and all that. Right. But that's, you know, as I like to say, most art peaks artistically before it peaks commercially. (laughs) And that's definitely the case with ECW. You know, we look back at like, oh, that Shane Douglas and and then the three way and all of that. And it's like those weren't exactly like packed shows. Uh, in the the level of when they would like sell out the Hammerstein ballroom years later with cards that, you know, I'm not saying they were bad, but they weren't nearly as like iconic as the old, older stuff like that. So the, but yeah, that happens in all, that happens in all forms of art. So the main thing we're talking about today actually takes place in the nineties involving Mr. Bob Backlund, but the story begins in 1983, November of 1983, Backland has had this almost six-year title reign. Uh, he's managed by Arnold Scoland, and he mm-hmm. um, 
there so they do an angle where Iron Sheik used to do the Persian clubs. Right? There are these Persian clubs and the exercise right. involving them is actually very challenging. It's an excellent exercise if you can. And do so it. he challenges Backlund to do the Persian clubs. Backlund does them and Sheik attacks him from behind. And I think the idea is like he was selling his arm, but I think the idea was that his neck was injured and he had like a pinched nerve or something like that, which I can totally sympathize with. I'm, I'm dealing with that in my own neck uh, currently. Um, and so Backlund goes into the match injured. He's wearing uh, an amateur wrestling singlet, which I had never seen him wear before or since then. I guess the idea was that they were both accomplished amateur wrestlers and he was trying to emphasize that or perhaps I, I didn't remember seeing him with that either. He always wore like the traditional short wrestling. Yeah. Front, as yeah. far as I remember. And he had shaved you're his, right. in that match. He had buzzed his head down match, too, he up. Yeah. Which he did. He did look a little different than he, well, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't thrilled that he was losing the title. Yeah. You know, uh, people talk about Bob Backlund as champion. You know, he had his good, you know, you could debate Bob Backlund as champion for forever, but he was paranoid. And like, if you'll notice in, in this match and in most of his title defenses, he kicks out of every pinfall attempt right at two or a little before, you know, he doesn't want to do the close near fall because he's afraid of being screwed. So an interview with superstar Billy Graham once where he told the ref, well, let's rib Bob Backlund and count slightly faster once. (laughs) And they did. And Backlund freaked out. He said, (laughs) then to the back, he came up to him clutching the belt to his chest. Like, are you trying to steal my belt? Are you trying to stand? It's like, no, we're just trying to get you to chill out. (laughs) You know, he wouldn't have done well in ECW, man. They counted really fast. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So uh, he's defending the title against the Iron Sheik, who's there with uh, Ayatollah Freddie Blassie. Ayatollah <laughs> you know the, the Blassie doing the Ayatollah Blassie thing is so like effortlessly racist it kind of comes all the way back around the other side to silly because he doesn't change anything about himself at all except he puts on the headdress and like calls a, himself a, a bright pink one yeah. <laughs> he's not he's not doing an Bally accent Ballin. or saying anything it's like, yeah i'm ayatollah blassie and my man the iron sheik's gonna win the title then he puts his arms up because he saw somebody put their arms up once and thought that's what he does one thing i noticed is so so backland's wearing a like a red white and blue jacket with the the towel and uh right the yeah. arms up yeah so he he um uh he takes off the towel and gives it to Arnold Scullin and Scullin spends a minute like looking at the towel. There's like a little bit of foreshadowing there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had actually never seen this full match before. So really? I was excited. I'd only seen like the finish, you know, which they showed over and over again uh in 94. But yeah. It's it's a it's an interesting match. Um it's mostly backland selling. Like, you know, he's selling the arm. Right. She comes after him pretty early and, um, you know, and, and attacks him. Um, Gorilla Monsoon and Pat Patterson are on commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed recently I was looking at the Wrestling Observer Awards. And, you know, I've always loved Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, but I didn't realize oh. that he won 
worst and worst commentator announcer yeah. of the year several years For like five years in a row what was up with that at like were you aware of the observer awards in the like 90s and such omar no, no. okay the, See, the, i probably like maybe 96 was the first time i'd heard of okay him. I think that might have been, well, no, I guess by then he was like, he was the uh, president or the interim president or whatever. So, yeah, well, the, the observer at the time was like, I mean, it existed and it existed for a while. It had somewhat of a fan base, but it it, it wasn't nearly as widely read as it is now. You know, Um, I always say like people criticize Dave Meltzer and like when the criticisms get to Meltzer, he just goes like, well, I don't know. They can, they can take it or not. I don't care. And I'm thinking, oh, right, because all through the 80s, people in the business were legitimately telling him all day they were going to murder him. He can handle a few Internet trolls. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I think they didn't like Gorilla Monsoon because he was mostly just a shill like like Vince was. And the readers of The Observer preferred, you know, I guess they preferred the NWA announcers because Tony Schiavone was more serious and Jim Ross was more serious. Mm. And uh, I don't know. They didn't Gordon seem to. Sully. What? Gordon Soley. Gordon Soley, right? Of course. You know, who knew all the wrestling holds and would Rod, say Rod the wrestling Trongard holds. Rod Trongard. <laughs> That's a great name. Uh, Ed Whalen, we're going to have a ring a ding dong dandy. <laughs> yeah, all, all these great like sports announcers. And then there's Gorilla Monsoon, who's, just, who's you know, making up fake long names for body parts. They're real. And just exaggerating everything he could possibly exaggerate because he's a carny and a worker and just in the best possible. The way. external <laughs> occipital protuberance. Yeah, Bobby He's Heenan just used to be like, just keep it simple. Just say the back of the head. Just the back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this match, yeah, Sheik attacks him. He's choking him with like all of his clothes. Yeah. Um, Backlund yeah. just the, the story is the story is really that Backlund tries to do all of his stuff and he can't right. because he's injured. Right. He's, and that gets more and more severe as the match goes on. It illustrates nothing in his arsenal is going to work. Right. Right, yeah, his neck breaker fails, backslide fails, and that is real fucking selling. Could you imagine a wrestler nowadays who has an injury and actually can't do their moves or actually can't even <laughs> do, like, simple moves? No one sells like that anymore. They well, sell in between doing even... the moves. <laughs> yeah. It's a very different style than even what would happen after Hogan came in. You know, it was still very like that 70s style, which I say that and you guys know what I mean. It's, it, I'm trying to describe the like 70s WWF style is like it's a technical style. Everybody knows how to do a lot of basics, but there's a lot of time in between each move for everybody to sell and register and play to the crowd and, you know, let everyone digest everything fully before doing the next yeah. thing, which if you like that yeah. style, great people. Some people really didn't. They think it's like long and boring. I think it depends on who's in the ring. The longer you know, I'm I, a wrestling I, fan, the more I like that style. You know? Right, me too. <laughs> like I, my taste has slowed down over the years. I've seen all the moves, you know, like. <laughs> right. I've been through a couple of pretty heavy moves phases. Um, but so one thing that they do do very quickly is there's a point where Backlund is on the offense 
And Sheik is like praying to him. He's like prostrating in front of him for a second. And they did that yeah. quickly, but it registered. Like, <laughs> And man, Sheik was such a worker. He was willing to, to go that extra mile, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, Sheik knew what he was doing. You know, they, they showed the clip in the 90s of the finish. They don't show like the how much they take their time with it. You know, and Blassie is always screaming for Sheik to, like, kick him and grab his arm and everything. And when it comes time for Sheik to do the camel clutch, he stands over Backland and he waits. And the crowd boos. Yeah. And Blassie screams to kick him. And Sheik turns his head a little and he waits. And the other side of the crowd boos. And they all wait yeah. until they're right in position. And then finally he gets him in yeah. the hold. Before that, Backland and- got the O'Connor roll with the bridge, but couldn't hold it. Yeah, yeah, then he started telling his neck. Yeah, right. That's when you know, and the commentating was great on that. Um, yeah, you know the the way that, that Patterson and Monsoon were were selling that finish was was just perfect. That really helped set it up. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Um, yeah, they they, they really take you oh, from point really, to point in the story. He's really pulling on that that camel clutch. <laughs> <laughs> He's pulling on it. And you hear Blassie yelling, pulling on it. Also, a contrast, um, which I didn't notice until I watched the match recently, that's a contrast from what Arnold Skolan was doing, where Blassie was very actively, you know, coaching coaching the Sheik. And every time they showed Arnold Skolan, he's just sitting there. Well, we would. Why aren't you you helping your man out? Well, we would learn why eventually. Yeah, well. But first, yeah, some fan fiction took place later and on. He throws the yeah. towel in very quickly. Like Backlund mm-hmm. did yeah, not have much time. Yeah, less, I would say, twenty seconds. Like Backlund yeah. does not have much time to try to struggle out of the hold before Scullin throws the mm-hmm. towel in, and that's it. Uh, the Iron mm-hmm. Sheik is the new WWF champion. Man. And it holds the belt upside down. <laughs> it's the it's the old belt with the the various panels and like the green strap. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh man, and the crowd is pissed as you would imagine. Yeah. Iron Sheik takes the time to remind everybody that Iran is number one. And uh, yeah, everyone is very. An emotional night at the Garden. Um, you know, they, you didn't see title changes very often. Once again, Backlund was champion for almost six years. Yeah. It's a hell of a long time. It must have been be such a shock to the crowd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, all the, all the uh, you know, if you're a kid that was a Backlund fan for all that time, you know, how much of your childhood was Bob Backlund? Yeah. And then. Thinking and then he, he was And within a few months, yeah. then he was gone. <laughs> You know, it's right. He was unbeatable. Nobody could possibly beat him. Then he got beat, and but it, he didn't even really get beat. The, you know, the guy threw the towel in. But, you know, the, the, the psychology of that is the ref can always stop the match. Right. The ref could always pick up the towel and go, no, and throw right. it back out. But he didn't. He's like, no, Backlund's clearly injured. We're ending this. But that's an interesting thing, given what Omar was saying earlier, that like, you know, no, the, ki- the kids didn't know who Bob Backlund was by 84. Um, right. where did all those fans go? Did they just stop watching or they were just older, I guess, but there must've been, I don't know. I guess you were pretty damn young. So you and your friends had like just started watching wrestling, right? Omar. Like, yeah, it was, 
it, it was kind of like out of sight, out of mind, you know. Yeah. He, they were, he just kind of got phased out and, and didn't, nobody talked about him. And, and when you're a kid, six months is, is a long is, time, too. You know, like I try to think about the yeah. difference, like, you know, between WrestleMania 10 and SummerSlam or like between, you know, one WrestleMania and another sem- seemed like a very long time as a kid. Now it's like, oh, shit, WrestleMania is coming up again already. Like that was that was just yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like when you send something in the mail and you're waiting for it to come back, they say, you know, allow four to six weeks. Like that was an eternity as a kid. Know. Yeah. Yeah. You might as well tell me to wait four to six years for it. Right. Every day you go to the did he come yet? Yeah. You know. And you had to because there wasn't any fucking two day Amazon shipping. And you couldn't track the package. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It was probably like some somebody in a warehouse like physically picking this thing up and and packing it and sending it to the you know, to the post office and Oh, opening envelopes and, and making sure checks are good. Yeah. So around August 84, and this is some stuff I was not aware of until Omar started sending us these videos. Um, good stuff. In aug- Around August of 84, Backlund leaves WWF completely and goes to Angelo Savaldi's ICW. Not to be confused with Angelo Paffo's ICW. <laughs> This is the ICW <laughs> that would eventually become IWCCW. They added right. another C. And and another W. And and another W, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they absorbed the other ICW, which went downhill quickly after, like, Randy Savage signed with the WWF. Maybe. I'm not sure uh, what, the, what the history think, is. There. No, I think ICW was done at that point, because a yeah, lot of those it? guys are going to Memphis. I see. Like, there you, you know, go. Savage. Uh, one man gang i don't know if he went i've been watching um, mid-south where one man gang is there as far back as 82 yeah so he might have went there and i know garvin went back to uh georgia mm, yeah 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 that's where he started the feud with jake the snake robert mm, got you yeah no i i i, I yeah. I might, and then some of them were just, you know, all around. Like, you know, Pez Watley was one of those that floated in between territories. Yeah, mo- great work. Most of my knowledge of the territory stuff, like what I've seen on the WWE Network, starts around like eighty five, eighty six with, um, with you know, uh, Crockett, and uh, and like mm-hmm. World Class a little earlier. I've seen a little earlier World Class, and I've been watching Mid South starting in like 81 82 but yeah i see i've only seen ron garvin and pez watley show up in crockett in like 86 you know and watley yeah. turns heel and becomes uh shotsky 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 watley yeah turns on uh jimmy valiant for calling him the greatest like black jimmy. wrestler he's ever seen and he's like yeah. greatest black wrestler yeah. i'm the greatest wrestler and, oh man some crazy yeah. shit <laughs> call him a hockey when he beat him down <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well that stuff got over in the south uh probably still does yeah i recently watched uh the part of the first episode of a tna 
And even then, like they were doing like, you know, they, they taped that in Alabama and they did a really heavy race baiting angle with our uh, truth and Brian Christopher. You oh, know? wow. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'm not going to go well into that now. That is on YouTube if you're interested in checking it out. The first episode of TNA is one of the greatest varied car crashes you've ever seen, from the Flying Elvises to the Johnsons to this race baiting angle. And it was a pay-per-view, right? To, like, yeah, it was 10 bucks on, like, a Wednesday. And, you know, talk about throwing a bunch of shit at the wall. Uh, but at the same time, there's a ton of talent there. <laughs> but that's that's a whole other story. Wow. Back to back to Mr. Backlund, yeah. who left the WWE. So there, so there's this angle where they play Backlund footage of the Iron Sheet claiming that he paid off Arnold Scullin to throw in the towel, and that Mr. Backlund is yeah. not pleased at this revelation. <laughs> yeah. Throws, the, throws the, the headset down. You know, he's obviously very upset. <laughs> they they you know, show him oh, freaking out for one second. Yeah. And that was enough. Yeah, well, yeah, because they cut, they, they cut the cameras. Like, I'll take care of his manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the, they, they're like, it's not the American way to lose without being pinned or submitted. And he's like, oh, yeah, the American way. What are you talking about? <laughs> American way. Like that. I gave it to almost all of the gold and the jewels and the money and the oil. The oil, and yeah, I, I use my oil. I told her how many times I'm sick. Whatever you have to do to get that belt, bring it back to the wrong. <laughs> so I took care of his manager because he's no good, cheap server. <laughs> Hey, you know, she, she could, uh, she could gotten clear of the WWF for a minute there too, to do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He was in and out as much as we think of but, him as this constant presence. But this plot point. Come to think of it, wasn't Tony Atlas on that show too? I don't know. Probably. You know, people's contracts were, you know, like the next segment or something. If they weren't working for Vince that particular day, they probably could still do other, other stuff. Yeah. It's you know, not like anyone anywhere else solid. would know. You know, it's it's not I like mean, the rock solid contracts that they developed, you know, shortly thereafter. What did you say? Piper did uh, what? Yeah. I know Piper did stuff for uh, Don Owen when he was yeah. still a WWE contracted wrestler. Yeah, he refused to work. The, uh, uh, yeah, the Born to Controversy DVD actually has uh, a match with Buddy Rose there mm, from right. Portland. Yeah, Piper refused to work WWF house shows in Portland or anywhere near it out of respect to Don Owen, and Vince respected that. Vince was like, okay, we won't put you on those shows. It's not like they didn't have a deep roster at the time, you know? So this plot point of um, Sheik paying off Skulland is totally consistent with everything that happens later. Like, Backlund never says anything to the contrary, um, which is cool. Like all this stuff, really, like including the um, some some earlier stuff that Omar is going to tell us about, like all all fits very nicely in kind of the larger yeah. like head canon. Um, so okay, but before that, there's a promo from Backlund also in ICW, which is so fucking batshit crazy. Like even when he's being calm, especially when he's being calm, <laughs> he's creepy as hell, and he's like. He's like, never, never apologize. He says to the Savaldi announcers, like, uh, you know, I'm sorry for what ha- for what you had to see. He's like, never apologize. And he talks about, yeah. he's like, Sheik 
you better, you know, look in the trunk of your car, like look in the back seat of your car. Cause I'm going to be coming for you. And, and then he <laughs> says some shit about like not giving into the establishment and fighting someone who's yeah. bigger than God. Is he talking about Hogan there or Vince? Uh, could be either one. Could be, could be, I'm thinking Vince maybe. Maybe. I, the no. establishment is definitely the WWF right. here. I mean, the, yeah. uh, the word as the word has it, what Vince wanted was Backlund to stick around. He endorsed Hogan. He did endorse Hogan. There's a show where, you know, they have the clip of it. He's yeah. like, this guy's good. And then Hogan won the title and then Backlund left. But Vince wanted Backlund to stick around, dye his hair black and turn heel uh, on Hogan and then have the Backlund Hogan program, which uh, would have been very interesting in 1985 or whatever yeah. it would have been, it would have, would have happened in and Backlund would have gone crazy then. And been like, no, I'm the bastion of morality. Not this guy. No, I'm, I've, I've led your kid, you know, all the stuff that he did eventually. I 10 led years later. Right yeah. Back. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So what happens is Backlund disappears from WWF for 10 years, almost until 93 he comes in when Doc and I had started to watch wrestling because we both started in like late 92. And uh, Backlund comes in and he's just this old guy. And we're like, okay. Yeah, he's 42. Right, he's 42, which like, <laughs> God. Which I'm, I'm going to be in a few yeah, years. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, uh, so. I mean, they were doing a youth movement. And when you have a very young roster, it's a good idea to have a cu- not too many, but a couple of like older guys on. And you can see examples of this. You know, you can see like Terry Funk and ECW, you know, if they had Terry Funk and a bunch of other like major NWA mainstays from the seventies and eighties, it wouldn't have worked, but they just had Terry. But So in, I remember we, we watched the 93 Royal rumble for the podcast and yeah. Flair is in there and Flair and Backlund are the same age, but they're, they're calling Backlund an old man and not, they're not saying that about Flair. Um, I think Jerry Lawler also, and the Bushwhackers, man, they are just as old. So Omar, what did you think when Bob Backlund showed up in 93? Well, he had been up for a while, so it was kind of interesting because there was no Hogan. You obviously wanted to see Hogan versus Backlund. In in okay. some of the magazines, they you know they promote it. Yeah. So Hogan was already out. I mean, he was going to come back, granted, um, but we didn't know that at the time. Mm. So I guess Backlund was going to come in. Uh, Brett had just gotten the title. Flair was on his way out, which we also didn't know at the time. Mm. Right. So it was like, well, he's coming back. I think it could have been a play off of what was going. In, in other sports where you see guys that or you know guys that had been retired for a while that were coming guys like George Foreman or Larry Holmes who were old, who were older boxers that were still trying to chase the, chase the title yeah Vince mentions George Foreman in one of these matches that we watched who had like just when, won the when title when Backlund finally wins the title yeah, yeah. he mentions it <laughs> yeah um, you know, another, another reason would be, you know, in 92, they were trying to find, um, wrestlers that they could afford because business was starting to go down that were clean. 
that mm, were not on steroids right. because they were getting to be under scrutiny for all the steroids. And they not just started testing, not just who weren't know. on steroids, but who were very obviously not on steroids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but could still deliver, you know, right. Backlund ticked all of those boxes. So knowing what, what you just said um, about back Vince wanting Backlund to turn heel on Hogan in the, in the eighties, I guess when he brought him back oh. in ninety in late ninety two or early ninety three, they knew Vince already knew what he wanted to do with him. I think but so. But yes. waited a whole yeah. year, over a year, like a year and a half, to pull the trigger on it. Um I, I think Vince knew what he wanted to do, but he hadn't decided the day he hired Backland that they were gonna go mm. through with it. I think he was gonna test Backland with the audiences test Backlund against the new guys, see how it went. They had him go like an hour in that Royal Rumble. And uh, and it was working okay. And when Monday Night Raw started, I like to point out when they did have him have a match at the Manhattan Center, he would come out and get a reaction like a returning king. Because the, the hmm. hardcore New York crowd, not even the people who would go to the garden, not the, you know, 10,000 to 15,000 people who would go to the garden, but the 1,000 people in the Manhattan Center would be the most hardcore New York wrestling fans. And in 93, 94, those were probably the fans who had been watching for 10, 15, 20 years. When they were little kids, Bob Backlund was the man. And a lot of those people never liked Hogan in the first place. So they were thrilled that Bob Backlund was going to come out and do his stuff, you know? Yeah. So it was working and then they put it in motion eventually. Like, all right, this is we can you can you can hang. Let's have you let's have the technician face the wrestler. Yeah, so Backlund gets this title match against Bret Hart uh on the July 30th, 1994 episode of Superstars. And Bret had won the title at WrestleMania 10. He was doing this long feud with Owen Hart. They were leading up to the cage match at SummerSlam. So this was like, you know, it seemed like a throwaway title match. Like I remember watching Superstars and by this point in 94, you know, Raw was emphasized so much as the main show that angles didn't even really happen as often on Superstars. Like it was mostly just job matches and like replays of Raw at this point. But and you'd think, mm-hmm. oh, there's a world title match. They must be planning something. But no, Brett's whole deal was that every couple of weeks he'd just defend the title against whoever was up that week. But they built this a little bit. They had Backlund cutting promos for a few weeks leading up to it, talking about how he never submitted, you know, and talking about the history. So it, it was promoted a little bit. But you also figured like, well, Brett's got to beat him because Brett has to go face Owen in the cage at SummerSlam. Um, so Backlund comes out for this match. He did. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Backlund comes out for this match, like all thumbs up and like, you know, hokey old Bob Backlund. Um, you got Jr. and King on commentary and, um, they, you know, Backlund and Brett, they face off at the beginning and they talk, um, they say something to each other. And, and so, okay. So a year previous, I had seen Brett and Backlund wrestle on a house show at the garden. And it was just a pure technical match from start to finish. They did not throw a strike the entire match. And I had never seen anything like it. And I was totally blown away. I, it was the first like pure wrestling match I'd ever seen. And I thought it was awesome. And they shook hands at the end. So I was expecting that. Right? I was like, Oh, they're finally going to put this match on TV. Um, and that's not what we get. 
immediately Backlund is the aggressor. He he doesn't get give Brett the clean break in the corner. He hits him with a couple of shoulders to the gut and starts going for pins real quick. Um, and it's like, oh shit, what, what, <laughs> this isn't the Backlund that we've seen to this point. Um, but the ref, the ref is counting all of these pins real fast for this match, which was kind of a style around then in big matches where they'd have, sometimes it would drive me crazy because they'd have the refs do really quick two counts and then a really long, slow three at the end. But like it, it helped to, you know, heighten the tension, you know, a pinfall could be any second here. Now I mentioned JR and King were on commentary. Omar, you texted me something, uh, an observation about this. Um, that you know about the king yeah. specifically. Yeah. So early on in the match, you, you know, you notice Lawler starting to turn and saying, you know, singing the praises of Bob Backlund. This is before the turn happens at the end of the match. So he's already saying Bob Backlund has a, you know, they, people say he's washed up. He's forty-three years old. He's not washed up. He's got a lot more wrestling left in him. And you, you now, yeah. granted, this was also in the middle of a program with, with Bret Hart. Right. King and Bret, so they feuded for like the, almost anybody would have, four years or something. Forever. Yeah. Two years or something like that. You know? So it, it was like almost anybody would have a reaction from Jerry. Lawler. Normally you would have gotten that reaction after the match or after we saw what happened. Right. To yeah. get it during the match before any of this happened, it was, that was another thing that looking back now kind of struck me as a little odd. Yeah. That's, that's some really you great. Know, it struck me as a little bit off. Yeah. And it's great foreshadowing. Like, you know, I told you before, um, Vince, Vince knew how to tell a story back then, you know, <laughs> definitely. Um, um, but yeah, that, yeah, that's, that, that's pretty cool. Um, they have a, they have a hell of a match, you know, that's at some point they both seem to slow down because they'd been going at such a heavy pace you know, the commentators are observing how much they're sweating, kind of like they did with the Backland Iron Sheik match. Um, they start making it so they do a move and then can't get the cover immediately. They're selling like they're exhausted. Uh, There's some super but, um, impressive stuff in this match, like uh, the really crazy bridges that Backland would do to reverse mm -hmm. out of things. There's this uh, exchange where he picks up yeah. Brett for a Canadian backbreaker, you know, all the way up on his shoulder. Brett slips yeah. out and goes into a backslide. Backlund gets the Canadian backbreaker again, and they do the double bridge twice, where they both land on the mat and both bridge up together until finally Brett gets a backslide. Just really cool, you know, worker stuff. Like... <laughs> Absolutely. And, and at one point, uh, Backlund does a drop down and actually trips Brett with it. Like the drop down worked for what it's, you know, actually intended for, <laughs> um, which you don't get to see very often in wrestling. Right. Brett tumbles out of the ring. Backlund immediately jumps out of the ring and immediately throws Brett back into the ring. Right. He's and and Waller's like, oh, why don't you let him get counted out? And Jim Ross is like, well, he can't win the title. He's trying to win the title. Yeah. Come on. Seriously. So then um, they, they fucking headbutt each other really hard looking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's, it's, it's a really like solid, hard hitting, great technical match. Um, uh, fucking Backlund hits Brett with like a really nasty looking pile driver. Um, yeah. yeah. 
really pops him up there. Uh, so then Backlund gets a small package for a two count, but he thinks it's a three count. Starts to celebrate for a second, but realizes the bell didn't ring. Goes for another pile driver, but Brett grabs him in a small package and Brett wins. And uh, Backlund mm. is incredulous. And uh, Backlund, uh, Backlund ends up shaking Brett's hand, right? But then stays in the ring. Backlund offers the handshake first. Yeah, and Brett celebrates a bit, and Backlund's still in the ring. And Brett goes like, "Okay, well, you've uh, you're still here. I'll shake your hand again." And and, and Backlund wow. doesn't. Yeah, Backlund yeah. slaps Black- him in the face, puts him in the chicken wing. He snaps. He, as the he announcers snaps. put it, Backlund snaps. He puts him in the chicken wing for the crossface chicken wing, which, by the way, is one of the best fucking submission holds of all time. If you've, if anyone's ever put you in the crossface chicken wing and gotten it locked on completely, you know there really is no escape. <laughs> like unless you kind of pinch their belly or like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> something like that, you really it's painful and it's it's solid. Like you really can't get out of it. And then after he puts it on Brett and they finally pull him off, he looks at his hands and with this maniacal look on his face, like, what have I done? And, you know, King makes the point on commentary. He already shook Brett's hand. The audacity of Bret Hart just to rub it in, to ask for another handshake. Hey, you know, he shook Brett's hand, but then he stayed in the ring waiting. Like, what are you waiting for? Well, this hot shot Brett has to celebrate, go to every single corner and hold the belt up. We didn't do that in our day. He's the champion, of course. (laughs) Well, it's not your day anymore, Bob. (laughs) Sorry, Bob. Um, But yeah, man, like this, what a great fucking piece of business this whole thing was. How did you feel about it at the time, Omar? Well, when I, when I first saw it as a kid, you know, I was, I was maybe 13 years old. So I was, I was just amazed that Bob Backlund was getting a title match. First of all, just amazed that there was a title match on TV. That's <laughs> almost never happened. Right? And superstars so, at this point, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even even back in the, uh, like, the, the Hogan era, or the Warrior era, or the Savage era, you didn't see the title defended on superstars very right. much. Or if at all. Yeah. You didn't, you, you barely uh, even saw Hogan. Like, watching primetime yeah. wrestling week after week, they'd talk about Hogan. Maybe you'd see a promo, yeah. but you wouldn't see him wrestle. No, no. So you may you maybe saw him like once a year, if that. Yeah, yeah. You know it's funny to see Brett like um, on Crockett on World Championship Wrestling. You'd see Flair wrestle, but in the like three uh-huh. or four years of World Championship Wrestling I watched through, like from '85 to '88, I never once saw Dusty Rhodes wrestle on TV. <laughs> Oh man, he would not re- he would not give away his matches. You had to pay to see Dusty Rhodes. He he was the booker that entire time. You know, he he uh the 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 um oh, what was the name of it? The, the Bunkhouse Stampede where he won 4 years in a row and each year he got a a large bronze set of cowboy boots. He got he got Crockett to pay. The boot, the, the buckle so, the prestige baby. Yeah. He, <laughs> he, 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 he got Crockett to pay to cast him four sets of bronze cowboy boots. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if if Cody or Dustin still has them. <laughs> I think it's that thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
But I, but that that that's what it is, you know. Dusty was the attraction at that time. Yeah. Hogan was the attraction. Um, so, like to your point, Doc, when you want to see the attraction, you have to pay to see the attraction. They're not just going to give it away to you on TV. Um, I maybe our main event needs to wrestle sometime. Yeah. I don't know about uh -oh. worldwide. A worldwide syndicated. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I really never got to watch Worldwide very much when Rose was the Booker, but yeah, um, you very you you very rarely saw him, or if you saw him, it was like a clip from a, it was like a little from clip a house from show a, or something. A match. Yeah, yeah, past years. Yeah, it was like an like an angle that they were shooting, like the you know the Horseman introduction. Right. Or, yeah. Uh, but you never saw him in that wrestle you know, in that Hulk studio. No, never. never. You know, or the, or the or if you saw him, it was to further an angle. Yeah. You know, where he would get ring, or or like the Road Warriors, where they they hit him with the spike. You'd see Flair as champion go like ten minutes with a jobber, occasionally. Yeah, because he enjoyed wrestling. Though, yeah. you know? <laughs> or like maybe not a jobber, but like some, you know, the light heavyweight champion yeah, he, or something. Yeah. Yeah, he would go with George South, or he would go with um, uh, Mike Jackson. You know, Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson was a, a very underrated worker. Yeah, I yeah. think he trained a lot of the other jobbers. He's still yeah. occasionally wrestling. Wow. He's in his 70s. Wow. God bless him. Yeah, God bless right. him. Yeah. Good for him. Um, I mean, yeah, so is Ricky Morton. You know, but... So, yeah, so you... Well, God bless him. Yeah. So we're... I love the rock and roll. The rock and roll. Definitely. They're, they're doing their retirement tour now. Again, yeah, I, know, well, I, I, I think Robert Gibson wants to stop, and Ricky's gonna start teaming with his son, because I've noticed, like, just on the independent circuit, Ricky's been doing more singles bookings. Cause, like Robert Gibb, like it's not like Robert Gibson was bad, but Robert Gibson was kind of there too, and Ricky Morton was, you know, one of the biggest stars of his day. He's still out there doing Canadian destroyers and shit. You know, he's he's. He, he knows how to keep up with the times. He knows his place in the modern wrestling landscape and he knows how to maximize it. And, you know, I went right before COVID. I went to the, the new Japan show at the Hammerstein ballroom, you know, and him and him and uh, him and Robert were teaming with Tanahashi because they all did the air guitar together and it worked. <laughs> it was great. So I was so happy. I got to see them wrestle live, you know, Oh man. Yeah. So were you shocked to see Backlund turn heel? You're on Superstars? Yeah. I, I was confused at first. Like what like like where are they going with this? Um Yeah. Because you see it and you you know it's it's not you know, you know it's an angle, but at the same time you're like, Where where are they going with this? What are they doing next? And you know, so does that mean he's a bad guy? Does that mean he's gone again? Like, where where are they going with this angle? Um, and, and they built it really slowly. You know, Brett still had this match at SummerSlam. They had Backlund come out and talk, but they didn't really mm -hmm. push the angle into full effect until, like, September. Um, yeah. I think at first they pushed, like, he was done. Mm -hmm. Like, that was his last shot. That was his last shot of glory. He's, he's done. And it turned out that, you know, as, as you were alluding to, Ben, that he wasn't done. Right. So, you know, the, 
they start going into the lore of the chicken wing on Monday Night right. Raw and asking him about it. So the first and like, why haven't yeah. you been doing it? One of the the things that I, I don't think it was in one of the promos that we necessarily watched for this. He explained that like he thought it was kind of unfair, which is why he hadn't been using it. Ah, but. He sees now that, you know, there's no reason for him to abstain from using the cross-faced chicken wing because of the morality of his opponents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know. Right, right. So the next thing we watched was September 19th, from the September 19th, 1994 Raw. And to your point, like, he's saying that he'll retire if anyone can get out of the chicken wing because he believes that it is an inescapable hold. And he wants to demonstrate, and poor tiny little WWF magazine writer Lou Gianfrido is like, oh yeah, Bob's my friend, I'll let him put on the hold. And I, I love Randy yeah. Savage on commentary, like, that's rule number one, brother. You don't let anybody put you in a hold. <laughs> and then yeah. he said, unless they've earned it, which is a uh... wrestling training thing. You know, don't just let somebody put you in a hold. Make them put you in the hold. Don't just give them your arm. Yeah. Yeah. It looks bad. Right. And, and let them eventually right. get it on you, but struggle. And if they know how to work, they'll struggle you into it. And that's how it works. And Backlund promises us he's not going to be fallacious with us. He, he's not the <laughs> president of the United States. Right. That was... <laughs> That's like at the time in 90, like in 93, 94 in politics, that was still kind of a deep cut because it was before like the Monica Lewinsky scandal. You had to be aware of uh, Bill Clinton scandals in Arkansas. Also, he totally did get the word fallacious past the censors, uh, which is he's definite. That only refers to one thing, right? No, it means like it's a fallacy. It's a, it's a bad argument. Oh, it's a fallacy. Already, <laughs> what he was talking oh about. my! Man, no. <laughs> wow. You know, I know that that had not occurred to me. Well, that's where the Clintons <laughs> come in. <laughs> that's funny. That's hey, really man. funny. Um, yes. Uh, so, no, Backlund knew exactly what he man, was doing. Man, he's with so all this. fucking yeah. brilliant. Like, he's so I love good. how he would just intentionally misuse words too. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll get to a couple of those. We'll get to that. <laughs> but all right. So here he destroys Gianfrido with the chicken wing, though. You'll right. notice, though, he, like he doesn't lock the fingers, though. He very no. easily could have. Um, he, he, he he grabs him by the arm and by the chin and then picks him up and swings him around a bunch, yeah. which looked brutal as hell. Lou Gianfrido is not a large man. And I remember because I was reading the WWF magazine yeah. at the time, they had a picture of him in a sling. Uh-huh. And they're like a statement from our photographer, Luigi and Frito. And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. I backland really hurt my arm. It's hampered my amateur bodybuilding career, which I do like lightweight on the side. Damn it. And it was a big heel thing. And the magazine was so great. Best shit Vince Russo ever did was that magazine in the mid 90s. I mean, that's what got him any kind of cred in the business to begin with. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah. you know, I, I, I saw somebody say online that new, like, control your narrative group that uh, that EC3 and Braun Strowman are putting together. Like, that doesn't exactly capture my imagination, but somebody said they should have Vince Russo book it. And I thought that's exactly what Vince Russo should be doing right now is is, is booking those guys who like who don't know wrestling is fake. And like, you know, EC3, it looks incredibly muscular and vascular. He does not look good. He looks um, I unwell, say dehydrated, and uh, 
I don't know that thing where your forehead keeps growing. I don't know. Yeah. There's a thing you take for that. Like, and I like, you know, Derek Bateman and all that, but dude has to, dude has to chill a little bit. Yeah. I think. Uh, anyway, so yeah. man, man, this, this angle is such a slow burn and that's another thing that's so great about it. And like, we, we don't get things like this where anymore, it's then it, yeah. like the next major beat is an October 15th on superstars where they bring in Scotland and yeah. uh, Vince is wearing these terrible blue pants and uh, is interviewing Scotland and Backlund comes out belligerent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just screaming out the game. Have, just have you ever been in a tornado? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't breathe. Yeah, an airplane crash. I was dying. I was dying. I was dying. Oh man! Tell them I waited every day for you to call. Yeah, yeah. I had to work out for ten years waiting for a phone call. Oh man! And so. So Scotland won't shake his hand and Vince instigates it. He's like, you won't shake this man's hand. <laughs> this man who built your career. Did more for your career than yeah. Um, but looking back on that angle, I mean, Golan, he just seems very nonchalant. You know, Backlund is basically pouring his heart out saying, you know, I waited for you. And when I lost that title, you just threw me to the side, man. Like, like yesterday's garbage. You got a front office position, and what did I get from it? Mm. Nothing. So, not to mention, basically pours his heart out to him, and Golan is just like, "Well, if that's the way you feel, then I'm sorry you feel that yeah. way." Right. I'm sorry you feel that way, buddy. Yeah. Not yeah. to mention that Backlund knows that Sheik paid him off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have actually tied up a lot of loose ends with that angle, but it also maybe could have yeah it would have could have made back in the face again and it could have yeah. backfired what? which is why i think they didn't go with it in retrospect right, right. no that, that definitely would have made back the baby face and they would they could have brought in chic to be the heel with them it would have been a very different angle yeah but watching think, through here cast. seeing all of that yeah i'm and very sympathetic to backland you know like, yeah. even, like, the way I was reading the, the end of the Brett match, where, oh, Brett had to grandstand extra and try to shake his hand again, you know? Like, watching it in this order with the ICW stuff, like, you know, I kind of, yeah, I'm kind of behind Backland. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it makes much more sense when you see that yeah. with it. Definitely. So, Scotland turns Definitely. around, Backland attacks him from behind, puts him in the chicken wing, um, and he is saved by one... Bob Spark Plug Holly. Oh, which which one was this? The one where Vince started trying to pull him off, or was that with Louie? Um, because at one point Vince, who's doing the in ring interviews, yeah. like drops the mic and starts pulling, like, "Get off of him! Get off of him!" You know, I might have been Louie. He might have been Louie, and Savage gets in on that one too. Yeah. Um, right. Bob Holly comes in. I've been getting on a few of those. Yeah. Savage like to mix it up. Savage, we get it. He would, he would, be, he would violate his own principle of non-interference occasionally. Right. Well, there, there was one point where Jack Tunney told him, "You can't get involved. Like, like you're just an announcer. When you're announcing, you can't get involved in the action." Right. And right. there was one point I forget which which one it was where he just yelled, "Cool, Tunney." Was and it with Crush? Down. 
I think it might have been with Crush. No, this was no, because this was after the after the angle with Crush. Oh, okay. Well, well, no, you you might be right because because I think that was when he pulled Crush out from the from the bond after he got the four bonsai drops, right? Yeah, which led to Savage oh, okay. getting yeah, back yeah. in the ring at WrestleMania ten. Right, and Crush came back as the heel. Yeah, yeah. The Savage should have saved him sooner, right. which Bobby the Brain kind of instigated. Yeah. Oh man, that was a great angle too. So uh, all of this eventually leads to Backlund indeed getting well, wait, first, another shot. First, we watched yeah. this great promo on Raw two days after that. Oh, Superstars oh yeah, thing, yeah. This where one. Backlund, this one is is great. He's finally out with the robe and the towel. He demands that Vince come over and interview him. And he's just like, oh, so here's one of the great misuses of the word. First of all, he's calling people plebeians, which plebeian is generally an adjective to describe, like the, the Roman peasants were plebeian, you know, but he'd call the people plebeians. He'd use it as a noun, which is misusing it. And he talked, he apologizes for ascertaining, forever ascertaining Scotland as his manager, which is a serious. Yeah, that's not what that means. No, not at all. <laughs> Obtaining, retaining. Right. He would talk about the procuring yeah. the chicken wing on people, which also doesn't yeah. work. Um, yeah. Great stuff. Well, then he, he starts saying uh, about his own morality, you know, I've never eaten marijuana, <laughs> which is a great line, especially today, because marijuana edibles have become so popular. Right. Um, well, well, right. But, Back then, it was like, he clearly. was like, that's not how that works. Right. Clearly, you've never. You've never done anything with that. Right, um, right, yeah. I've never sworn in front of my children, which I always think is such a good How many thing. times have you sworn in front of your children? How many chemicals do you have in your cabinet at home? How many drugs do you have in your billfold? You know, Backlund would brag openly about, like, never going to the doctor and always just, like, relying on his own, you know, his own body. I, I hope he softened on that as he got older. You could tell he had, like, really bad teeth by here. He had a, I think he just never went yeah. to the dentist. He has a lot of weird spots on his body that look like yeah. could be liver spots or something. I don't know. Yeah, and, and those close-ups did not help. You no. Know, you see the top is all capped. And mm. Yeah. The, the bottom is like, you know. You see when he opens his yeah. mouth, he has you, a bunch of cavities. You kind of see that with Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar? Yeah. You see that with Brock Lesnar? A little bit now, you know. Yeah. Well, look. You look at his Twentieth century dentistry was not what twenty-first century dentistry is now. This is actually oh, very oh, true. Oh. Yeah, um, I, I've seen a couple of things on the history of dentistry, and I would recommend that you don't. So, so <laughs> Lex Luger ends up like Backlund ends up challenging anyone in the crowd if they want to get put in the chicken wing and yeah. Luger ends up answering and they eventually do have that he match. Rolls up there, but he won't come down here. <laughs> um, and, and Lou, they have, I watched that match like a couple days ago, actually before, before we were even started talking about doing the rest of the episode, since I was watching the videos that you sent me, Omar, YouTube started suggesting oh. to me more backland stuff. And, uh, and yes. he puts the chicken wing on Luger and Luger doesn't get out of it. Tatanka comes in and starts stomping on Luger for the DQ. But like they yeah. put it over hard. They had him put it over, put it on a bunch of people, a bunch of like kind of top guys who could not escape. Um, and they protected oh, that they, move they got, the they whole time. They backlined up 
really properly. Like, they knew that he didn't really have any heat, but he was capable of doing it if they gave him a good angle that would work. So they gave him a good angle that would work, and he played it, and he he knew what he was doing. And that brings us to Survivor Series 1994, the submission match. So Owen Hart had exhausted his title matches against Brett. Um, Omar, you said you think the last one was on Action Zone? Yeah, it was. It was October of '94. I don't remember what the date was, but I re- do remember that they were uh, promoting it as his last yeah. shot at the title. They said it's his last chance, and actually, they do mention that on the uh, Survivor Series match as yeah. well, where they said, yeah. you know, he's out of opportunity for the title. So, yeah, since he so, can't but, win the title, he's going to try to help Backlund win it. Right. Brett can't have, if I can't have it, my brother can't have it. You know? Right. That sort of thing. Like Brett, Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania is like my favorite match of all time. I consider Brett versus Owen at SummerSlam to maybe be like the best usage of like the WWF cage rules I've ever seen, like with the blue cage, because they both work the escape perfectly as a mechanic. Because Brett mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, they're like, oh, you can't have a cage match without the violence. I'm like, no. No, it all makes sense. Brett never wanted to hurt Owen, but Brett wanted to retain the title. So he loved having these cage matches where he could incapacitate his opponent and escape. Owen didn't care about pinning Brett. He already pinned Brett. He needed to win the championship and beat Brett at his own game. And he was such a sneaky little heel that he didn't have any qualms about just running for the door and trying to get out as quickly as possible. So they're they're not on the top of the cage gigging each other to bleed. They're trying to win. And that, you know, that separates it from a lot of people who use the the blue cage who were still kind of trying to work it as an old school mm. steel cage match when yeah. there's so much more opportunity to flesh it out there. Well, Brett you know, and did it. Well, usually it's like, why is the baby face running from his opponent? It made right. sense in this context, as you just, yeah. as you just well explained. Um, all right. Completely. So yeah. this survivor series 94 match, we got Vince and gorilla on commentary, which is kind of a weird pairing. We've, we visited by the way, this Survivor Series once before for the podcast on the very first episode because this was the infamous Clowns versus Kings Survivor Series match, which may be the worst wrestling match of all time. You know, it's up there. We we figured, oh, it'll be tough. We figured, oh, that's a bad match. It'll be fun to watch. Turns out, no, it's like, it's like 18 minutes long. It's like, so it's not a bad spot necessarily. If you're doing a childish comedy spot thing where the, the baby faces do a trick of some kind and get one over on the heels. And then the, the heels try the same trick and it fails because of their own stupidity. Well, they do that and it takes forever. And then they do it like five more times and just everything. And then they pin Doink and have like a whole other match where the Kings slowly beat the clowns by attrition. So it's not even good. Well, because the, the, by then the clowns couldn't have possibly won because they legally weren't allowed to be in the ring with the King. Right. And uh, oh, it's so bad. Anyway, anyway, so we're not bad. talking about that match. We did. Though. We did. We did. We had to revisit <laughs> 
But we revisited Brett and Backland. Um, Owen is in Backland's corner. The British Bulldog is in Brett's corner. And the gimmick is it's a submission match. But in order for the match to officially end, the corner person or someone, I guess, has to throw in the towel for their <laughs> respective person. Now, the finish of this match also really doesn't make sense. Um, but we'll get there. First, they have a pretty damn good match. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I didn't remember Brett wearing that like full size Brett pendant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what was up with I that? I don't know. Um, but anyway, oh, and also one other thing to point out: someone in the sign, someone in the crowd had a "What about Bob?" sign, which is yeah. one of the great yeah. movies of all time. That's great. Um, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I used to really love it. So yeah, yeah. Um, this time you know, Backlund comes right out of the gate against Brett uh, again. But Brett is able to ward him off more at the beginning. Um, yeah, Brett was better prepared for Mr. Yeah. Backlund's onslaught. I like that every time B- Backlund even started to put the chicken wing on, he'd immediately get the maniacal look on his face and the crowd would get amped up. Like, you yeah. know, they sold him almost getting the chicken wing on very well. He had that pose where he put his arms all the way up with his hands out, you know? Yeah. And, um, he wouldn't, he wasn't going to do it without doing that because that was the trigger for the fans. Right. Um, yeah. Like, you know, the crowds behind Brett Backlund selling really well. That whole figure four yeah. segment was really great. Oh yeah. The whole figure four spot is great. It's very long and it's proper the whole time. Owen is screaming at, you know, either screaming that Backlund isn't, doesn't give up. And he's like looking at the towel, like, no, no, no. And then at one point he says, like, I'm not throwing the towel in. Yeah. He crosses his arms. He's like, no, (laughs) No. naturally. Yeah. And then they show the heart family at ringside, but Brett's wife and kids are like, (laughs) way the fuck up there. Yeah. Yeah. His parents are front row. Yeah. They couldn't have gotten better seats for uh, Julia. Julia. The whole family. Yeah. That little blade. Yeah, um, when, when the, watching, I don't know. When, when the figure four is reversed, Owen immediately starts screaming at the bulldog to throw the towel in. Right. The British bulldog in his in his perpetual best role of being like the fourth most important person in the heart saga. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. No, you know, um, they, they trade pile drivers in this match, which is a kind of cool callback to Brett getting pile drived in the first match. Everything goes pretty mm-hmm. well up until the finish. Um, the end is, so, um, Brett gets the sharpshooter on Owen runs in and bulldog chases him. Owen runs out and back in, but this time the ref turns around to stop bulldog. Bulldog. Owen gets by Mm -hmm. him and bulldogs, ironically, uh, Brett onto, (laughs) uh, or yeah, just bulldogs him enough so that Backlund could escape the hole right. and Brett's disoriented. Then Bulldog idiotically charges at Owen and Owen jumps out of the way and Bulldog hits the steps head first and is then unconscious for like 15 minutes. Like, yeah, like what he doesn't the steps at the same time. There's no sound. Yeah. <laughs> Man. It's like he just, he just falls forward. When, uh, when I used to... I don't understand how they got away with that. Uh, when I used to watch the tape of this when I was young, because I'd tape it and watch it over and over again, my mother would always point out that the British Bulldog really shouldn't be unconscious for that long. Right. 
Yeah. Like it was literally 10 to 15 minutes that he's laying there completely motionless. No medical attention. Nobody comes to check on (laughs) him. Nobody's like, you know, no, the, they don't even call for it. They're like, Oh, bulldog's out. Like, yeah, he's, he's out. He hit his head. That's really bad. And so, but this whole ending is so fucking long. Like, so Owen acts concerned. Brett comes over and curses at him. Backlund puts on the chicken wing. I timed it. Backlund puts on the chicken wing at one twenty-seven thirty-six in the in the video. Um, and he the the match finally ends at one thirty-seven oh seven. So almost a full ten minutes. And then Bret wow. Hart is in the chicken wing. While Owen, you know, acts concerned, he starts crying. He pleads with his parents. Um, Stu has is going to have none of it, but Martha gets up. Um, Stu, uh, Ho- Owen hands Martha the towel, like, please throw in the towel. Stu pulls it away from her. And then they just stand there for another five <laughs> minutes. And Martha, like, you know, the, Martha is trying her best to have an expression on her face. Like, really <laughs> trying hard. Um, but you know, Owen's crying and like wiping his tears with the towel he now has around his neck. And Brett's just in the fucking chicken wing. And then finally, I guess they gave them the signal like, okay, time to go home. And, um, and Martha throws in the towel and ends the match and Backlund is the champion. But what the hell? Like I thought only the corner person could throw the towel in. If just anybody could throw the towel in, then why didn't Owen do it? Well, Bulldog was dead. Like they weren't, they had to make an exception. Again, the referee, it can always decide it's time. I guess. But like they, they act like this is just understood. Like none of that yeah, is explained. True. It's just like, oh yeah, Martha, this, this person, this, this fan attending his sitting in the front <laughs> row can just be the proxy I guess. Yeah. It's his, I mean, what would, what, what, you know, what if it was like some relative you haven't talked to in 10 years? Does it matter? It was his mother. Yeah. She was concerned. Anyway, Omar, you had a theory <laughs> about why it took so long. Right. Well, yeah, it, it, I think it might've just taken so long because you know, maybe one of the other matches. I, I don't know if it's one of the other matches just didn't uh, end it early, or you know, it could have been just just the way that it was formatted. I, I, they they wanted to get to like that two hour forty five minute mark that they would usually end the pay per views. Well, usually at pay per views they'd have Brett wrestle yeah. twice. Yeah, and they didn't do that this time, so they needed to eat up time. I think it was so long because Brett took several months yeah. off after this and they wanted to sell that Brett was injured mm. and Brett wouldn't have it <laughs> that he was just normally injured from being, being in the chicken no. wing a normal amount of time. It had no, to be no, he was an excessive stuck amount in the of chicken wing. He might've said I 10 think, minutes, you know, cause it really did really seem wanted, like... <clears throat> They really wanted to illustrate that Backland had trapped Brett and Brett could not get right, out. Right. He could not at any point wrestle his way out of the hold. It was inescapable. He does try to escape at the beginning. He gets back up yeah. to his feet and then Backlund brings him back down. Right. So Owen, so, yeah, I mean, you know, so Brett was out to the rumble, he runs right? to the back. Brett was out to the rumble. Um, 
I, I don't I don't remember. Rumble ninety five. Yes, I think so. I think his next match was when he got his shot at Diesel. Mm. Uh, because the the angle was that Brett was gonna face Backlund anyway at the Garden House show the next right. weekend. But he but was hurt. He was injured. Yeah. yeah. So they gave the yeah. shot to Diesel, who wins the title. Yeah. That's a whole other. We, all right. We need to point out Backlund after winning the title. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. So the look on his face. And like the ref with the belt and them announcing it. And just, he's perfect. He's just screaming. Yeah. <laughs> he hits all the corners yeah, and points yeah. at the belt and points at the fans. Um, crazy look at his face the whole time. Oh, like, now we got a problem with that. Huh? <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, and you, you like to point out, Doc, that uh, when he, in his one title defense against Diesel three days later, he has an elaborate entrance where he hits every single corner with the bell. He whip, he whips the fans up into such a frenzy. They want him dead in the best wrestling way. And, uh, and you know, Diesel gives it to him. They asked Nash in interviews, like, how is it like working backland? Like, did he give you any problems? And he's like, after I power bombed him, he crawled on his hands and knees to the back to sell it. Fuck yeah. So no, he didn't have a problem. He had a problem with the rematches, not like a political problem, but Backlund clearly had no idea how to work with Diesel. But they they switched it up. He started wrestling Jeff Jarrett instead, and Jarrett knew how to sell for the big guy. I love this this uh, heavily edited promo on, I guess it was on like Superstars that day before or Challenge before... Uh, the title match. Uh, it's it's from eleven twenty six ninety four. The day that yeah. he lost the title, and Backlund's like, "Tony, what are you trying to prove? Cut. Who is this Diesel man? Cut. You know, did he ever win the NCAA?" <laughs> well, you know, first, first we gotta say W. Then he said NCAA. Right, the W. The NCAA. Oh yeah, right. no, no. But speaking of promos, you know, Owen runs to the back victorious. And, you know, there's the immortal Backlund promo that we'll talk about in a minute. But I watched the, the, I don't know if you guys did, I watched Owen Hart's promo directly after this match. Yeah. Which is it's one of my favorite. Happened. Yeah, it's fantastic. He, he immediately, like, he's victorious. He couldn't win the title, but more than wanting to be champion, he wanted to stick it to Brett. And he caused Brett to lose the title. And it's like, he says, like, and mom and dad, ha, 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 just starts laughing. This is the them. greatest Thanksgiving of my life. <laughs> right. This is the greatest Thanksgiving. Which is the which is great because when he's pleading with them to throw in the towel, he's like, "He's my brother. He's your son. We've had Thanksgivings together. We've had Christmases <laughs> together." Um. Yeah. No. Owen is so fucking great. Um, yeah. So wait. So the the promo. Oh, oh, he, uh, the one, one more point in that, that I, a line in there that I always, I always like, he always just says without specifying anything, I could have beaten Brett for the title, but he cheated. Right. And that was the beginning and the end of his justification for it. So Brett cheated the end. So when was the Backlund promo that you're talking about? It was a couple matches later. They show it between, uh, between the matches. Oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't go back and watch it, but I, I remember which one you were talking about. After the, uh. Yeah. Uh, the Luger, the Luger, what yeah. did they say? The, the foreign, the, the, the Luger, Luger versus the anti-US, okay. uh, the, no, the corporation. Luger versus the corporation. Right. That's it. Yeah, yeah, So after that match, Backlund has a promo. Yeah. Um, it's right in between the end of that match and the start of the uh, Undertaker, Yokozuna Got match. you, got you. And that's where he talks about feeling so, like God. I'm going to watch it right now because okay, it's like a minute. Okay, watch it right now. I can... Like, 
did exactly what he said he was going to do, agree or disagree with his tactics. He is now two-time WWE. First of all, young man, it's Mr. Bob Backlund. And you're incorrect. I've been the champion since 1978. I never lost the championship. Tonight, I just regained the belt. And I beat the man that represents your society. I beat him so I can save you. I'm going to scrutinize you. I'm going to scrutinize you. Pasteurize you. Homogenize you. And synchronize you. And synchronize you. The people are real. You understand, ladies and gentlemen, it's sports education. Sports education. Champion. And I'll take on anybody. Anybody at all, ladies and gentlemen. In your generation. Because I'm fighting for something that's more important than anything in this world. Has put morality back into your lives. And now. Your children have somebody that they can emulate after and try to catch up to. Because I feel like God! Emulate after. Oh, my God. Catch up to. That is so fucking amazing. And watching that now... It's one of my favorite promos of all time. Like, incredible. Watching it now, I want a year-long title reign for Bob Backlund after this. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> but no, yeah. he lost it to Diesel three nights later. Eventually, Brett and Backlund would have their match at WrestleMania 11, the I Quit match with Roddy mm-hmm. Piper as the ref, which Brett remembers as his least favorite match ever. He thinks it's his worst match ever. Um, I watched it back. Uh, I know Omar did too. Um, and I Doc, you've seen it many times. I have. I didn't quite have the time once you said like half an hour before we were going yeah, yeah, yeah. to watch it. But, but I've seen it. I've watched WrestleMania 11 front to back a million times. Like, I, I understand why Brett thinks what he thinks. There are a couple of snags in it. I mean, know? the whole microphone gimmick is stupid as hell. And Piper yeah. overdoes it. There's part where he's like, at, like, Brett has Backlund in a hold. And he's asking Backlund, like, do you give up? Do you give up? And Backlund's like, no. And then he asks Brett for some reason. And the whole crowd (laughs) laughs at that. And once they laugh at that, they laugh at the microphone gimmick for the rest of the match. Um, Piper was trying to be clever, but this was not the time to be clever. Yeah, like the and the announcers care so little bit about little about it. They like throw it to the German announcers for a little while during it. And then the worst part of it. So the finish is kind of cool. Brett reverses the crossface chicken wing into his own crossface chicken mm-hmm. wing finally gets Backlund down but Backlund doesn't say I quit he says no <laughs> and then he just keeps screaming and he says, yeah he says yeah he says yeah yeah eventually he kind of says yeah, yeah. And, which is not I quit right they sold uh, it the yeah. whole time that the gimmick was you say I quit yeah you have so the, to those say are the I specifics quit. of it yeah um, but eh. Either Backlund didn't want to do it or he, you know, a lot of the wrestlers in the seventies, their detail work is not very good. Uh, maybe he didn't want to do it. I, I, maybe he didn't want to do it. Maybe, maybe that was his out. Probably in, uh, 
They did the same with Tully and TA. That's right. Where Tully just screamed yes and said I quit. That's true. Yeah, but, but TA had a jagged piece of wood sticking into Tully's eye. Or am I thinking of a different match? No, no, no. Yeah, that's the no, one. No, that's oh, the right. one, yeah. That's correct. That's oh, correct, boy. Yeah. That's the famous that's, I quit match, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the few matches I ever watched as, like, tape study when I was training. We were at the Wrestle Factory one night, and, like, Bryce Remsburg had put together, like, we're going to watch a bunch of wrestling. We're going to watch matches that people bleed in. And all of us were like, oh, yeah, and we watch a bunch of bloody matches. Like, oh, yeah, those are bloody matches. And that match from the 80s, we watched, and we were all really uncomfortable by the end. And, and it's like, that's how you do it. Damn. Yeah. You can't do that again, can you? Yeah, this but, uh, this was not that match. But, like, I thought it was pretty good. It, w- it was fast-paced. Like, Brett attacks right from the beginning. It's it's not too long. Um, yeah. But, you know, we're talking about Brett. So it might very well may be his worst match because, you know, <laughs> he's the best. <laughs> it's definitely the worst of the three that we had with that right. game. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. It's it, it, it's the worst of really... it's the worst of the four matches we've discussed here for yeah. this episode. Yeah, yeah. Piper didn't really add to Even the match. The Sheik one was like a, uh, the Sheik one was kind of like an extended squash match, but it set up. You know, the, the Sheik match it, was it, a it psychological was thriller. Fine. It, it, no, I thought yeah. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, the Sheik one was it was yeah it was it was a good piece of business right it was it it, it got across what it wanted to get across. Yeah. Um, it, it told the story real well. Yeah. So we've been talking about this incident in the nineties where Backlund snapped, but Omar, mm-hmm. you have enlightened us or, and well, please enlighten the listeners <laughs> yes. concerning the original snapping of Bob Backlund early in his WWF title reign. Oh, yes. Yes, this was a tag match on TV, Championship Wrestling, uh, with... In 78, right? Bob Backlund, 78, yes. End of 78. This was Bob Backlund and Peter Maivia. The Rock's mm-hmm. dad. The Rock's son. The Rock's grandfather. The grandfather, Peter right. Grandfather. grandfather, yeah. Against uh, Spiro Therion, who had a legendary heel turn yeah, in yeah. his own right as well. And... Victor Rivera, they were managed by the Grand Wizard. So, um, I believe it was the Grand Wizard. No, I think it was also Blassie. Oh, yeah, it was Blassie. Yeah. You're right. You're right. So, um, as the match goes on, Maivia refuses to help Bob Backlund in the match. Refuses to tag him, refuses to help his partner. Arnold Scoland is like, what are you doing? Which, is, which now that I think about it, it's weird because his guy was getting beat then. And, you know, he was like, you know, like, what are you doing? Help, help my, help, help. And then when he's fighting to see, he just sits there in the corner, like staring, staring. At well, face. maybe he didn't <laughs> want to get so beaten down he again. He goes there, he gets, but he gets in the ring and he starts beating on Backlund. So now it's, it's a, <laughs> a three-on-one situation. And Backlund rolls out of the ring, gets, gets on the microphone. What happened? You know, because I guess they're cluing him in. What happened? I'll kill that son of. <laughs> but they bleep the word out. Yeah. Like, and so, you know, of course, the crowd here that they go crazy, and uh, that becomes a, that becomes a big uh, a big program. Peter Maivia versus uh, Bob Backlund for the title. And so it showed that Backlund but, had kind of a mean streak, I guess. Yes. 
you could pull yeah, it out of it. It's funny because you like you only sent us like a like a two minute like a couple of clips from this, and it, it, it's fucking Gary Michael Capetta has it behind a paywall uh, on his <laughs> <laughs> on his website or whatever the the, the, the full the full thing. But you can watch this short YouTube clip, and just that one second of seeing Backlund screaming tells you everything. You know, it, you yeah. you see Mr. Bob Backlund there in that moment. Yeah, he's always been in there somewhere. He totally could have done it in the eighties. He told they could yeah. have done that angle with Hogan. He could have put Hogan in the chicken wing, and then as outsized as Hogan was to him, Hogan was a seller. Mm. Hogan sold for everybody. Yeah, they could have sold it like Hogan couldn't get out of the hold, and finally they'd have to pry it off of him. Hogan eventually would have beaten Backlund, of course, but like they totally could right. have done that with Hogan. So now tying this all together, but that was a really good point, Omar, that, you know, you can be like, hey, you know, Scotland interfered in this match. You know, why didn't he interfere with the Sheik? And then tying it all together, WrestleMania 13, the Sultan, <laughs> and it's the Sultan versus Rocky Maivia, yeah, right? Yeah, the Sultan versus Rocky The Maivia. Sultan with Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik in his corner, the Iron finally Sheik. looking for revenge Against Peter Maivia's grandson, Rocky Maivia. They, they don't get it. Rocky, Rocky Maivia beats him. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the the only his thing dad jumps in the, ring. the Sultan, yeah, who is also ring, right. part of the Samoan dynasty, of course, Fatu. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the only the only angle the Rock ever did in wrestling that didn't really work was his initial babyface run, and it wasn't as bad as people remember it. It just wasn't about to launch him into superstardom, but they figured it out. I mean, talk about a can't miss. It prospect. wasn't his fault, right? Yeah. yeah, it wasn't his fault. It just wasn't him. Yeah. And when you when you're investing in yourself, Doc, and you know this, you have to believe in the character that you are. Yeah. You have to believe in what you will, you know, what you're putting across. And I don't think he really knew how to do that. I you know, right. I don't think he really found himself yet, and I don't think he found a way to develop the character that he did later on as The Rock. Yeah, yeah. But... You know, look at look at him in the ring, just in the ring, from that point to you know a year later, it's pretty similar. But his character, his charisma, just you know was off the charts. He even never... at the, even at the end of '97, yeah. you know, going into early '98 was so much better than what it was. It was you know, also at, at the, that, at that. it might've gotten mm. over more earlier in the nineties. It was also, we were heading into Maybe. the attitude era, you know, and people he, didn't just well, want that, like know. a, a he, he could have been a new face. generation star. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So one last question, Omar, before we, we, we go, and this is a question that we ask all our guests. Evan used to ask the guests when Evan was on the show, but I think, you know, it's a kind of abstract thing. Uh -oh. But like being as big of a wrestling fan as you are, and you know, you're as, about as big of a wrestling fan as I know, um, besides like, you know, other than our, like at, at the same level as, as either of us. Um, what is it about wrestling? What is it about wrestling that makes it a compelling thing to watch a compelling thing to art, a compelling art form or uh, type Why of spend your time with wrestling versus spending it with anything else? Exactly. To me, it's the characters. It's the storylines. It's the way that they tell the story. You know, um, 
it's you tell you know you're telling a story with your with your body you're getting people to be emotionally invested and to me that is that is the art that is the art of of what wrestling is you're getting people to invest in in your match or your storyline or whatever it is or your character and you you say with your body right like it's literally visceral right like that seems to be the crucial thing there right and then you're like sacrificing your body well that's the other thing is when you're when you're watching a boxing match you want to you it's like you don't want to see somebody get hurt but you do at the same time (laughs) you you want to see somebody knocked out cleanly and then be okay afterwards (laughs) and that happens all the time in wrestling they might even be knocked out for 10 minutes and then they're okay Oh God! Yeah, yeah. that—that's what it is, and that—that that to me is—is is... when you mentioned earlier in the in the program that you have to wait a while to register. To me, that's something that's lost on on today's fans. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't need to jump off of. You know, it, it, it's something that in my generation it, it really started to get out of control. And well, like, one of... where it was like, okay, now. You're going through a table. Now you're going through two tables. Now you're going through two tables that are on fire. You're going through two tables on fire and you're jumping from 30 feet up. There has to be a reason why you're doing these things. Yeah. You know, and it, it just seems like it's everybody's just trying to top everybody else and they're not telling the story as to why you're doing this. It, it's not even you a know? question of don't do the crazy stunt make the crazy stunt meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's especially a problem nowadays because I feel like you can't give things time to register because then people are on their phones, you know, like I I, I think Mm -hmm. the way a lot of wrestlers wrestle is, Oh, well, you know, everything has to be gifable, you know, like (laughs) everything you have to do, everything you do has to be instantly attention grabbing. And so yeah. they don't, but at the same time, when people actually fucking wrestle and actually do a pro do an angle with like beats that, that do have time to register and stuff like CM Punk at MJF and that kind of thing. Like people do recognize that that's better. <laughs> people still tune in for that kind of thing if it's done right. And that's why we say you should learn how to do it, but it's not has- because we're old and it's a style we yeah. prefer. It's because it still works better. And but it I always feel, will. But I feel like the problem is it needs to be presented that way. Like it has to be big enough stars at this point where people know, oh, this is something I'm supposed to pay attention to. And then yeah. it's good. And they're like, oh, it's good. But if you're a wrestler coming up now, I don't know if you really have that opportunity to show people wrestling. Like I, I worry that it, like younger wrestlers coming up who try to just like to, to do the older style, like we'll kind of get lost in the shuffle, but I, I hope not. I think the styles kind of shift every couple of years anyway. You know, I just yeah, worry that so people we'll... don't have the attention span anymore. Really? You know? <clears throat> if they don't now, they'll grow it later <clears throat> because, because the styles shift and long form stuff is not, and never will really be out of style. If you want to watch it. 
It's just like yeah, watching that GCW pay per view. Like, I don't know. Do people not realize like how bad ninety percent of the stuff on that show is? Well, like, it depends. You know that GCW show. GCW's fans are very rabid, and they love what GCW puts out. But GCW is a specific flavor. Yeah. It's growing, but it's not the new standard. It's like, you know, it's like how ECW was always a thing that you'd be into if you were into that. But there's but only ECW so many people had that everything. Are be into that. ECW like, I don't know. I feel like ECW kind of covered all the bases. Where I don't know. I I was <laughs> I was very surprised when I saw the pay-per-view that like, oh, this sold out the Hammerstein you know? well, yeah, it's, it, GCW is a, is a much longer conversation. I do want to start wrapping it up. We have gone long enough. Um, That's true. But uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed watching all of this stuff. You know, thanks for for bringing it to our attention, Omar. It's good, good sitting down and talking to you. And this will come out, you know, whenever I have time to edit it. I have one. Uh, well, we'll talk. Uh, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be soon enough. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the yeah, podcast, so Omar. I really thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and getting your perspective on this stuff because it is a little bit different than than mine and docs you you're you were yeah. watching at a point and paying attention to certain things um that you know are are, are news to us so yeah. we really appreciate it yeah thank you guys for having me on it was a real pleasure Good it was stuff. a blast Awesome. And hopefully you'll come on again. I, I would be down to do a whole other premium episode doing like other Backlund matches, like more of his 80s stuff. And if there's anything else that you want to cover, we were, we'll be always happy to have you on and to, uh, we get, we can talk about wrestling forever, whatever the wrestling, you know, that man, (laughs) uh, as we've pointed out a couple of times on the show, there was a point in our lives where Ben and I managed to successfully arrange our entire outside friend circles around the schedules of wrestling. And it was quite an accomplishment, but we did it. <laughs> and, uh... So everyone, uh, if you do want more contesting wrestling, uh, you can subscribe to our Patreon for $5 a month. Uh, you get access to our now more than 100 premium episodes. New ones yeah. coming out uh, all the time. I have I have the one hundredth episode completely done now. I'm gonna upload it after we're done recording this to our Patreon. There's more stuff on the Patreon than on our main feed, um, and yeah, they come out basically whenever we have the time to record and edit now. But I'm confident enough to say that you'll be satisfied. Uh, giving us five dollars a month just for the archive we've built by now, and that's you know I'm proud of us for for doing that for sticking with this for a while and continuing on and um you know yeah so thanks everybody for doing that um thanks everybody who is doing that and yeah and thank you very much once again omar for coming on does anybody have anything else yeah omar is there anything you want to plug anywhere on social no No. people should stay away from you uh, omar omar's twitter is locked (laughs) i'm you know uh, oh so i'm not gonna give away what the handle is i'm happy that i can see it you can yeah. see Omar occasionally <laughs> commenting on Facebook wrestling groups. Yeah. Usually he's right and everyone yeah. else is wrong. Yeah. Uh, so on, the, on that note then, for, for, for Omar Luciano, for Doctor, for Professor Benjamin Abelson. Both of those things. My name is Doc Diamond Fire. Thank you all very much for listening. This has been Contesting Wrestling. We love you. Peace. Peace.